It's game week. I'm Rusty with Sean. I. It's game week. It's like, finally game week. It's here. It's been such a long off season. Like I watched Montana play North Dakota State. The Grizz pulled off the last second win. And college, and with that, college football is back. Yeah, I mean, I'm so, so excited. So. I mean, at work every day for the rest of the football season. Oh my god, that's a loud helicopter. Uh, wow, is that SWAT team coming in on Rusty there? Yeah. Uh, god, I'm going to listen to the Paul Feinbaum show like every day for the rest of the football season. Because that show is unbelievable. It did not hit me, like, and this happens every year with me consistently, is that I, I really, like... I don't even get that excited for football like through like fall camp and it's just practices and stuff. It's like when that too deep, that first depth chart of the year comes out, that's what just, I'm like, all right, it's finally go time. Oh yeah. I mean, there's so like, if you're a pretty avid college football fan, you're reading this stuff like all off season, right? So you pretty much know what's going on anyways. So like when you have practice rosters, like I followed Oregon's, and then I looked at like a bunch of different notes from like ESPN and a few other websites I go to, and so all that's like nothing awesome's going on. Like you see keep, uh, position battles at other schools, and it's like whatever. I don't care about that. Like they'll name a starter, whatever. Right. But man but now it's game week and like even though it's like it's still sunday right now we're recording this on sunday and i don't think it's until tomorrow when i'll just be like oh my god this is like game week it's a monday right. i'm so excited i'm so excited yeah. so we'll finally get the you know vernon adams versus his old team narrative probably the most exciting fcs Opponent, like opening game Oregon's had in a long time I oh mean, yeah usually these are just like these are just the games where okay small little FCS school comes into the big Austin Stadium gets their big payday we beat them with three points and everyone moves on with their day and everyone's happy cool this one's a little bit more fun I mean like Eastern Washington they're not they're not a pushover no they're, uh, they're a good they, FCS team yeah, it's, you know, I, I mean, they, what was it, last year, they hung with Washington, lost by a touchdown, the year before. And Vernon Adams had, like, State. five touchdowns that For, game. Yeah. The year before, they beat Oregon State, and so Vernon Adams, like, he has, like, packed hope experience already. Basically. Yeah, it's almost... He has almost like a thousand yards against Pac-12 teams and twelve touchdowns. Yeah, I remember seeing a tweet from uh, Danny O'Neill on Twitter, not the Oregon Danny O'Neill, but the seven ten ESPN Seattle Danny O'Neill, uh, and he was based. He was sharing the news on Vernon Adams being named the starter, and. He was basically like, you know, way to go, Ducks. Way to have a, way to have a graduate transfer. You know, be your starting quarterback. Way to build up that program. He was basically like ripping the Ducks for going out and nabbing a, 
you know, a, a one-year rental with Vernon Adams. Uh, first off, he called us. Yeah. And uh, and so he's basically, like, trying to rip on us. And I, I, I I'm think, shocked the guy from Seattle did that. Right? Because no one from Seattle has ever ragged on the Ducks about anything before. Right. And uh, nobody from Seattle is uh, is really ever cheering on someone who is a graduate transfer. Yeah. Because cause you got to build from the ground up and, you know. Exactly. But, uh, exactly. But I'm, I'm ex- I think it's the perfect, I think it's the perfect kind of, it's a transitional year at the position for the Ducks. Um, what the hell is going on at, right now at my place? All right, continue. We might, we might lose Rusty at some yeah. point. Yeah, <laughs> I may die. To some, like, mysterious monster. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I mean, I just, I feel, I feel so bad for Jeff Lockie. Like, I wonder how he's doing emotionally right now. Like, I just want to, like, check in on him and be like, dude, you're all right. Like, he worked his ass off to try and win this job. And for, like... For a little bit, you could make the case that he was, like, having, you know, he's like, okay, he's been there a little bit longer. He's having, like, the best camp of his life. And, you know, Helford said that one of his best practices of the entire year was the first day that Adams came in, and that's just that whole competition is healthy thing. But, like, to work your ass off, and then they're just like, nope, we're going to go with the guy who's been here for two weeks. Like, yeah. I mean, deep down, I think that was the plan all along. And I, like I, I've said this before, I really don't think it was ever like truly a quarterback battle. I think it was Oregon's plan to start him. And the only way they wouldn't is if he just like royally messed everything up in practice and just could not grasp anything. Because um, you don't bring in a guy for a year and then have him ride the bench. You just don't. And... So I, I'm, you know, I feel bad for Lockie, but I'm excited for Vernon Abs at the same time. Yeah, and you know what's kind of, you know what's worse is Travis Johnson is gonna get a redshirt year, and I bet he's gonna come in next year and win the starting job. <sighs> Poor Jeff Lockie. He's gonna be. He's like the new Nate Costa. Like. Oh, okay. The whole always the bridesmaid, never the bride type of thing. Oh, yeah. I mean, are we saying always the groomsman, never the groom in this case? I don't know. You get the point. Yeah. It, it's really one of those situations where it's like you feel for the guy. He works his ass off in practice, just but never can quite crack that starting gig. Yeah. Uh, but, I mean, the good thing is that, you know, I, I feel... I feel confident with him at the with him backing Adams up because, you know, knock on wood, if anything does go haywire, you know that Lockie's going to be ready to go. Yeah. So, I, I think it was good. It was fun to finally have a quarterback battle, and we hadn't had one of those for a few years. Yeah, I mean, well, we had Marcus Mariota. What is going on? SWAT team is back for Rusty. <laughs> I'm hiding. I got like the four stars blinking right now in Grand Theft Auto. You actually have footage of Oregon's practices, and that's what they're after. Of course. It's actually just Mark Helfrich and his staff in their private chopper. Of course. Um, 
I forgot where we were gonna go. Uh, so oh, yeah, always, always the bridesmaid, never the yeah. bride. And you know what's crazy is that there were, I think, two top quarterbacks who came in and then left. And I got the impression it was because Jeff Lockheed was beating them out and on the depth chart. Mm-hmm. And now he, he's gone. And it's just, it's just unbelievable like how all these quarterbacks come in, highly regarded, and then somebody non-highly regarded wins out. Like, Darren yeah. Thomas came in as an athlete. Marcus Mariota right. was, like, a three-star, even though that was, like, a joke when you watch his high school highlights. I heard... I mean, I don't know. If it's pro- it's pro- There's probably some truth to it. I heard that the reason Mariota was a three-star was because he was from Hawaii, and had he been a mainland quarterback, he would have been, like, a five-star. Well, I don't know if there's any truth to that or, like, if it's accurate, but, I mean, it kind of makes sense. I don't even know. Why, why Why? would you, like, knock somebody for that? Just because they're... I get I mean, maybe it was just because he, like... I don't know. I mean, I, I can't... I feel like you can't even use the excuse, oh, you're from Hawaii, so we can't come see games. Like, it's 2015, you know, or, I mean, I guess at that time it's what? Still 2012. We're living in the day and age of anything's... You can get video footage of anything, and... Um, but I'm, I'm just, I'm reading the, uh, God, even just reading the two deep here with like the little snippets they put of every player, Vernon Adams, two times runner up for Walter Payton award at EWU, which is the basically like the FCS Heisman trophy, mm-hmm. 28 and six career record as starter, 110 career touchdown passes, Jeff Lockheed. Completed 29 of 41 passes in two seasons as backup with one touchdown, one interception. It's just like, oof. <laughs> yeah, not not that similar. Those are two quite different snippets there. I mean, I mean, it's like, what else are you going to write about Lockie? Like, didn't do much, but he tries really hard. Yeah. He, he's a hard worker. I, I, I mean... He's got to be, like, one of the mentally toughest dudes out there, though, to, like, back up Mariota all those years and then now have to back up Vernon Adams. Like, you got to be mentally strong to be a backup quarterback in any league. Mm -hmm. Just, like, to constantly stay motivated throughout the season to, like, always be competing in case you need to... in case you're called. Yeah. And... Let's continue going through the depth chart. Dwayne Stanford over Braylon Addison. It's interesting. I mean, Braylon Addison's coming back from the knee injury. You know, missed all of 2014. He was, he had a good year in 2013. He had 890 receiving yards, seven touchdowns. Um, Dwayne Stanford last year, he had he started thirteen games and he was he was good last year. Um, yeah, I think he, he worked. Some, go ahead. Uh, I was just gonna say. I mean, he had some like I just remember him like having some really big games. Um, I think he had like what he had like a couple big touchdowns in the Rose Bowl, if I remember right. I think that was Darren Carrington. 
That was Jaron Carrington. I'm confusing the two. But Stanford had that catch against Washington. Yeah. That was maybe the most impressive catch I've seen by an Oregon player ever. And to match that, in the national championship game, Mariota scrambled for about a good six seconds before throwing the ball all the way across the field. By himself, Stanford drops it. Yeah. And it was a bad drop. It wasn't like... He was just sitting there waiting for it. Yeah, exactly. So, and he said in an interview too, I think it was with Rob Mosley, where he said he saw everybody coming in, all their other receivers, and he said, I I really need to pick up my play. Because I, Mm -hmm. if I don't, I will be lost, like on the depth chart. Yeah. So So I'm pumped for him. He's 6'5", which is nice, because the other guys are 5'10". Yeah, 5'10", 5'8", 5'11", 5'10", 6'1". So it's nice to have some height there. Yeah. Um, Which one's 6'1"? 6'1", Jalen Brown. Oh, yeah, he's going to be good. And then the other guy, Kevin Mitchell? Who's the the guy backing up uh, Nelson? Kirk Merritt. He's a true freshman, 5'11", 205". He ranked as the nation's number four all-purpose prospect at a high school, so he's like one of those athlete guys that Oregon really likes. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Oregon's all about those athlete position guys. Um, so, uh, yeah, true freshman getting in on the, on the two deep, so I'll be, he must I'll be curious killed. to see. He, yeah, he must have killed it in camp. He must have killed blocking. Like, I can't imagine... Like a receiver like that, who basically, I'm sure, was the most amazing wide receiver in high school. Yeah. And he never had to block once. And then he comes in and is obviously one of the best blocking wide receivers. Yeah, so he's backing up Charles Nelson, who had, he went off in the Pac 12 title game against Arizona. He had like 100 receiving yards. Oh, yeah. Uh, and he was like one of those guys who like he only had one start but he most of his most of his like production came at the end of the year oh yeah uh, and he kind of he yeah he like turned it on towards the end of the year um so i think that'll be fun to see god he's tiny 58170 that is not big at all no, but he's, I mean, that's just, he's got pure speed. Yeah, but he's you know? also, he plays really physical. Mm-hmm. That's the one thing that stood out to me is how physical he is. Like yeah, he I, runs through tackles, like, I, th- that's the one thing he, that separates him from DeAnthony Thomas. DeAnthony Thomas especially was so good at, like, cutting and making moves while staying at full speed. That was really his biggest strength. Mm-hmm. Like against Washington, like there's a Washington State highlight where he makes like eight cuts in a row, just embarrassing the guy. And the thing is that during all those cuts, he stayed at the same speed. Yeah. And Charles Nelson's so physical and he breaks so many tackles in a way DeAnthony Thomas didn't. Mm -hmm. You know who, and I think, I think a person who will emulate like uh, Nelson. In a way that Nelson was like 
we didn't see him like at all at the beginning of the year. Like we saw him in a punt return on a jet sweep uh, against who? Who did we play to open up the game? To open up, I think was it South Dakota last year? It was. It was an FCS team. Yeah, and like he turned it on. Only got a couple carries, like, the beginnings. Like, barely played at all against Michigan State. And as you said, he, like, blew up the Pac-12 championship game. And I think a player who's going to kind of model that is Taj Griffin. Who's yeah. not on the 2 deep. And I was surprised because everyone said he's, like, the fastest person they've ever seen at Oregon. Yeah. who It was, like... Um, yeah, that's what I think Royce Freeman was saying. It Like, he was... That he, that's what he was saying. He was just like the fastest person he's ever seen. And when you when you say that about an Oregon player that they are the fastest you've ever seen, like that's saying something. Yeah. And so yeah, with the running backs on the depth chart here, you have obviously Royce Freeman, and then Benoit and Tony Brooks James. Connie Benoit. Ben, Connie Benoit. I I got to get that one down. Yeah, well, I always think of it like the one Archer TV episode. Benoit. There you go. Um, yeah, so those are the guys on the, the running back depth chart. No no Taj Griffin sighting. Right, and then Tony Brooks James, who's the next LaMichael James, according to Gary Campbell. Yeah, he was, he was a big running back recruit out of Florida. Um, he was special team scout player of the year in yeah. Redshirt of last year or so. And he made the practice notes. Yeah. Pretty regularly for like long touchdown runs. So I mean the like I think the case with Taj Griffin is he just did not excel blocking. And mm-hmm. I think he would have been like a liability in passing situations if he wasn't gonna block well. Yeah. So and then line, Matt Haggerty starts. I'm really excited for him. That's like, that's such a huge hole to fill for the Ducks after losing Grasso. Yeah. Um, like, I was really worried about the center position. So to get him in for a year, and then you've got Doug Brenner behind him. So, like, you can kind of develop Brenner as he goes into his last couple of years. Yeah. Uh, Oh, sorry, Doug, no, Doug Brenner. Oh, yeah, Doug Brenner is... And he's the back of a left guard. He's back of a left guard and center. Yeah. So, um, yeah, and if that, I'm sure as you all know, if that name sounds familiar, he's the brother of superstar athlete Liz Brenner, who plays 10 billion sports, and that's not... Oh, really? Yeah, they're siblings. That's nuts. Yeah, I think, like, after the spring game, I remember walking away from that and saying, I think every unit looks fair. Mm-hmm. I think our tight ends look fair. I think the receivers look excellent. Quarterbacking is good, not great. Um, and I, the one position that I thought struggled was... Center. And by struggle, I mean was absolutely terrible. Yeah. So like there were so many bad snaps. One of them was a one of them resulted in a safety. And I just remember thinking, 
if this position does not get fixed, we could we could lose to Michigan State just because of that one position. Because it, it's so key, uh, especially with everything being in shotgun. Exactly. Just things can go haywire real quick if you have not like even if you just have like bad-ish snaps that are like a little bit high or a little bit low, that can just mess everything up. Yeah. Like you can just be playing the game, just scrambling and running from your life as a quarterback in that case. Uh-huh. It's just like, I mean never played football or quarterback but I can just imagine like expecting a perfect clean snap and then having to like mentally readjust on the fly to like quickly grab a, a low one or a high one or and then just readjust and like every second counts and so to like waste that time trying to field a bad snap that's not your fault like that's got to be nerve wracking yeah and I mean if there's like a low snap that severely interferes with being able to throw the football. Like, if that happens on a second down and distance, or if it, like, one of those snaps can easily kill an entire drive. If you go from first and 10 to, like, second and 15. Yeah. Like, this, like, the conversion rate is just awful. Yeah. It can, it can mess up everything. Yeah. So I think it's really good. I think it'll be good to have a kind of a more experienced center there yeah. like rather rather than just like throwing Doug Brenner into it, who just he only started one game last year mm-hmm. um, I think it'll be good to have that experience in there for this year it's like it's very similar to the uh, to the quarterback position in a yeah. sense like it's a good filler for yeah. one year while we develop some things exactly and then on the defensive line, there's DeForest Buckner, obviously, who's going to kill it. And we got Balducci back, who is really athletic for being 310 pounds. Mm-hmm. Although once Cardale Jones ran over him in the national championship game, I said, all right, this is over. This is <laughs> over. This is dumb. So... And I mean, this entire front seven is are seniors, except really, for the opposite defensive end from Buckner, whose yeah. name is escaping me right now. Um, ba, 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 opposite. I'm looking at the two D, two E Talia. I know that he's the senior that is projected to be a backup. Yeah. Um, There's the other D-end who's starting on the depth chart is a sophomore, Henry Mondeau. Right, who has an amazing last name. Played all... I I appreciate those, like, French-ish last names. Yeah, I love those. I don't know why, I just do. Um, I'm really excited for our front seven. It gets a little... I'm just... I'm worried about... um, We'll come back to the linebackers in a second here, but I'm I'm just worried about the secondary. Like, there's just so much inexperience back there. Um, I mean, there's like Tyree Robinson and Reggie Daniels. Like, 
Reggie Daniels started every game last year. He's like he's solid. But outside of that, I mean, there's just not a whole lot of experience in it. I don't know. It's it's kind of worrisome. Yeah, and I think what this group lacks in experience they make back in talent. Yeah. Like, Reggie Daniels is a recurring, returning starter. Tyree Robinson was really good when he played. Chris Cisse came in for Troy Hill. He made a lot of plays in the Rose Bowl um, and then held his own against Ohio State, who maybe has... Like the number two wider had the number two wide receiver unit last year, mm-hmm. um, and then Arian Springs too is just like a ton of talent, and so it's the it's the players really below them that give me the most concern. Like Ty Griffin, who's like an athletic freak, apparently has been playing yeah, defensive he, back for two weeks. From, he switched from quarterback to quarter, quarterback to quarterback midway through fall camp. Yeah, like that's yeah. That's tough. Like, let's just... Like, so what I like, like, Cissé has some big game experience, and I like that. Like, he he had to step in for the Rose Bowl in the national title game. Mm-hmm. Um, but, like, let's just say, like, like, he goes down or something, and suddenly you've got, like, a basically a quarterback playing, playing that quarterback position. It's just like, hope that switch works out, man. Yeah. And then Jawan Williams played in 13 games. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then Ugo Amadai is apparently killed it in fall camp. But then again, he's a true freshman. And then Khalil yeah. Oliver, he hasn't played a down of college football yet. Like, whenever I see true freshmen on the 2D, I'm like, I just want to go, like, what, what did you do in camp? That's, like, that's what I want to know. Yeah. So, um, what you want to go back to the linebackers? Let's go back to the linebackers. I feel good. I feel really good about the linebackers. Tyson Coleman all started all fifteen games last year. Had forty four tackles, seven from for a loss, and a few sacks. Joe Walker, who like quickly became one of my favorite defensive players last year, really after that. Um, he 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 was so clutch in the Michigan State game. Oh yeah, just That's amazing when I, run like, stopper. Started to develop like a man crush on Joe Walker, and, and he then, had the fumble return against Utah. Yeah, oh yeah, that was the fumble return on the the Kalen Jenin dropped touchdown. Mm-hmm. Oh, that was glorious. And then Christian French, he played in all fifteen games. He led the Ducks in sacks last year at six and a half. Um. So yeah, every starter at the linebacker position is a senior, and the guys below them are all old too. Like, like it's yeah, two there's juniors no, and a couple of sophomores. Yeah, there's no freshman on the on the depth chart for linebacker. So like yeah, like I said, like that that front seven is great. It's just like. It's the secondary, and then even more so, like, the backups to the secondary where it starts to get a little thin. But, I am I mean, the more I look at this, like, depth chart, the better I'm feeling about defense as a whole. 
Yeah, I can talk That's myself it. in almost anything. So yeah, I start out all pessimistic, and then I'm like, you know what? Maybe it won't be that bad. <laughs> yeah, and I'm like, oh, this is solid group, solid group. Yeah, it helps a little to just kind of like see it formulated. Uh huh. Simple piece of paper here. Um. Yeah, and I think then- I think one of the big pluses for the secondary is that Michigan State lost a lot of skill guys. Like, all their wide receivers are pretty much new. Yeah. That's so they're, they're kind of in the same place as the defensive backs. Mm. And then, especially, especially in the linebackers, too, uh, Prevost and French... We're number one and two on the team in sacks. And they're on opposite sides of the depth chart. One's left, one's right outside linebacker. They could do some damage if if they blitz more, which is a big if. Yeah. Although it better happen. So. Yeah, like I was touching on last week, I mean, you put more pressure up there with that front seven, like, you know, blitz another guy or two. Um like make the quarterback panic if you can get through and get to him. Yeah. And that'll take some of the pressure off of that. I don't want to say weaker secondary, but just like younger experience, younger. That's what I'm looking for. It'll just take some pressure off those guys, um, which I think will be important all year. Yeah. It's a lot easier. It's a lot easier to defend for three seconds than seven seconds. Exactly. It's like when you give, you know, when you give a quarterback all day long in the pocket, like nine times out of ten, he's going to make a play out of it just because he has so much time to just find the best option, whereas you put pressure on him. And I mean, this is kind of just basic football 101. I mean, you put pressure on him, he's going to mentally panic and scramble and be much more likely to make a bad decision. Right. And I mean, Connor Cook is, an, is like a really good quarterback, like really good. Mm-hmm. But his completion percentage is still like 58%. Yeah. And he's thrown his fair share of picks. So he's not, he's not amazing. Yeah. But he's so, so good. You guys will notice that, uh, that we're slightly skipping ahead of ourselves and not talking much about Eastern Washington, not because we don't think they're – not a good team because they are we just can't find anything on them it is we found we their tried. media guide and that is it that is we all found, we could find we found their media guide so which I'll is just, terrible to begin with I'll, we we talked before this about how bad it was i'll give you i'll give you all just some quick hits so uh-huh. you don't have to see how bad the media guide we took the bullet for you guys yeah it is, uh, it is not good if you if you don't, if bad photoshops make you cringe, just stay away. That's all we're gonna say. <laughs> yeah. Um, so forty-four. This is from last year, obviously. Forty-four points a game, five hundred and thirteen yards a game on offense. First in FCS in scoring offense and first downs. Second in passing efficiency. Third in total offense. Second in passing offense. Keep in mind, though, that's all like that's Vernon Adams stuff right there. Yeah. How much? And, how. M- He's ours now, and you can't have him. So. Yeah. 
And they lost their two leading rushers from last year, Quincy Forte and Mario Brown, who combined for 1,500 yards and 13 touchdowns. Oh, God. So they lost their top two rushers. They lost Vernon Adams. Um, really, their bright spot on offense is that they're returning Cooper Cup, who he had an, he had a big year last year. He had caught 104 passes for 1,431 yards and 16 touchdowns. Thrown uh, to him by Vernon Adams. Thrown to him by Vernon Adams. And how, then they how many also yards? Had, oh, sorry to cut you off. How many... Like, what was the percentage of passing yards to total yards? So, passing yards, they had 4,595. Okay, so about 5,000. Yeah, and... How many total yards? Total yards for the whole season was 7,188. So, some quick math here. Let's pull up the old calculator. We've got uh, 4595 out of 7188. So 64% of Eastern Washington's offense last year was through the air. That's going to be tough. Spoiler alert, they don't have Vernon Adams. He's ours now, and you can't have him back. No no take backs. Yeah, no Um, take backs. As if we traded something. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, man. I mean, this is going to be... Just from a talent level alone... I'm sorry. This one one isn't going to be close. It's going to be a freaking slaughter fest. Yeah. Like, it was close against Washington, and they beat Oregon State because, A, those teams aren't Oregon. Right. And, B, Vernon Adams. Oh, yeah. Like, he was the guy. He torched those schools. Yeah, like that's what I love about this year is Washington fans will be like, "Oh, you finally want you don't have Mariota anymore. What are you gonna do?" But like you guys remember Vernon Adams, right? Yeah, made you sweat while I dropped fifty-two points on you. Yeah. Oh, man, I mean, it's tough to even say. Okay, let's just let's just say this instead of discussing the matchup because we pretty much know how this game is gonna go. Yeah. Uh. Oregon's going to score very quickly, and then they're going to score on a two-point conversion. And Yeah, it's going to be 8 nothing like it always is. Yeah. Um, what are your expectations going in? Like, what do, what, what do you want to see? What I want to see is... Um, I mean, the... We'll, we'll start real quick with, like... I'm I'm kind of a dick when it comes to sports, so I personally want to see Adams throw for like 500 yards and six touchdowns. <laughs> but so real, but realistically, I want to see. Um, I just want to see like a clean game that we get out of injury free. Um, yeah, that's the biggest takeaway: injury free. Basic, like basic. It's I kind of treat these games like NFL preseason games, you know, because. It's, I mean, like, don't get me wrong. I'm like, I'm, if there happen to be any Eastern Washington fans listening to this, like, I'm, we're not trying to say that you guys are an awful team. Like, you're great, but it's FCS against the FBS elite. Like, 
it's just an entirely different level. So it's based like, so from our end, like I, I tr- kind of treat it like a preseason game, and just like the NFL preseason, like the biggest thing you want out of that is just to get out healthy. Yeah, and yeah, that's number one. Get out healthy. Um, number two. I really want to see a lot more pressure on the quarterback. Yeah. Like, if I can only pick, like, a few things. Injury-free, pressure on the quarterback, and I really feel like Adam's going to get his yards. I feel like the receivers are going to kill it. And then I want to pick something other than establish the run. Um, I want to see the tight ends perform at a high level. I like that. Yeah, and then basically just, like, yeah, tight ends, because they're kind of a question mark for me. Like, Bayless did really well in the Rose Bowl. Munt did really well against Tennessee, but then that was two years ago. Um, God, that was two years ago. Time yeah. flies. Yeah, and so it's very... It's really... T- I don't know what to expect from tight ends. Yeah. Like, they're an unknown quantity. Like, they're not bad. I don't think they're great, but I just don't know what they are. Yeah. Like, Evan Bayless, he had 15 catches last year. 11 of them came in the last two games. And then Johnny Munt, he played in 13 games, but he has, like, 18 career receptions for 310 yards and three touchdowns, and he's a junior. So, um... Yeah, that's kind of like, on offense, everything is, as far as like the like the players, like the, the stat players, like quarterbacks, receivers, running backs, tight ends, that's the big question mark, is like, we just don't know what's going to become of those guys this year. Yeah. I mean, so yeah, getting getting a solid game out of the tight ends would be, be pretty good. Yeah. I don't want to see any fumbles. I don't want to see... Yeah, just a clean game. Yeah. Basically mistake-free football. Let's play mistake-free football going into the Michigan State game. Yeah. and I mean, I mean this, is, this is the same as last year. Like, as much as you don't want to look past an opponent, it's kind of a tune-up for Michigan State. Yeah. And the biggest thing is, like... Because everyone plays these games now. If you're, like, a big team, you have the money to pay, like, a million dollars for this team to come down and get their ass kicked. Um, Because that's pretty much going to offset their whole athletic budget. Right. And you still... Like, Oregon's going to make $3 million for this game. So they really only make, like, two after everything. But then they get... That's two more than they would have otherwise gotten. Um, I mean, these kind of games are like, they're a win-win for everyone because the bigger school gets kind of like their quote-unquote tune-up game where, you know, it'll probably be out of hand by halftime and we'll start to see some backups come in and get some playing time that they normally wouldn't otherwise. And so, you know, it's like Oregon can kind of like work some kinks out, you know, kind of, it's like a preseason game basically. And... And then Eastern Washington, like, are they going to come in here and compete? Obviously. Like, they're going to try and come in and win this game. 
mm-hmm. but um, at the end of the day, it's just like it's an entirely different level. It's this isn't Washington or Oregon State. It's like you know the the reigning runners up in the national title game. And yeah, it's like so. Yeah, they're probably going to lose like sixty six to seventeen with fourteen of those points coming in garbage time. But yeah. Which is it's, pretty much the whole game, but it's going to be like late I mean, in the third. But yeah, but they get the exposure, you know, they get on TV, they get, and like, you know, the kids, like I looked at Eastern Washington's attendance last year, and outside of when they traveled to Washington, and there were like 60,000 people at that game, the biggest game attendance-wise last year that they played at was at home against Montana in front of 11,339 people. Woof. So these kids who like all year are playing in front of crowds that are like 10,000 people or smaller, like look, they went to Southern Utah and played in front of 2,400 people. Like I'm pretty sure there's been some volleyball games that we've had 2,500 people at. Yeah. Um, so like it's really cool for those kids to like come into like a big time stadium and play in front of sixty thousand people. Yeah. It's like I mean it's like good for them, dude. Yeah, and there's gonna be a few players who like Walker. Like, yeah. There's gonna there's gonna be some good moments for individuals. Like they know what's gonna happen, and yeah. for Oregon, the biggest thing, by far, is. Like, the, the opponent, like, there's statistics where you can take into account the opponent and figure out basically how well you played against them. Football uh, Study Hall does that. And one of the things that really sticks out to me is that the best teams do what they should against these types of teams. Yeah. Like, in 2010, when Oregon went to the national championship game, they did what they were supposed to against whoever they played. Mm-hmm. Like Wyoming or whatever. Like last year. I think they played Wyoming last year. Or the Ducks played Wyoming last year. And they did what they were supposed to against Wyoming. And so it really doesn't matter who they're playing, but Oregon needs to play at their top level. Just do what yeah. they're supposed to do. Just get out of it clean. No drama. We'll all be happy. Yeah, Exactly. It'll be fun for us. Like, we get to go to Autzen. We get to watch the Ducks play. It's going to be a lot of fun. So, that's what I'm looking forward to. Yeah. Except, at 5, like, at 4 p.m., that's when all the great games start. So, that kind of sucks. Yeah, I've got to... I'm, I'm working until 6.30, so I'll miss most of the game but yeah you'll miss all the good parts it's gonna be i'm actually like really excited i'm like i'm gonna be that sick twisted guy who roots for games on the schedule to be pac-12 after dark just so i can watch them yes so give me all the seven and eight o'clock kickoffs you can pac-12 oh i have a theory on this i have a theory let me open up this page let me open up where i saw this I'm looking at Arizona. That's that's the team I'm looking at. Because they always 
have tricky games to start off. I think they play UTEP to start off. Let me open this up here. Um, oh, okay. Phil Steele's college football guide right now. Arizona. They open you guys, up. You guys hear the sound of that? That's paper. Yeah. Rusty is old school. Yeah. University of Texas, San Antonio. Oh, that's Thursday night. Um, Didn't UTSA almost beat Arizona last year? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, okay. Never mind then. I have a theory, but yeah. Uh, they almost lost to UTSA. They were at UTSA. One by three. So... And even, uh, yeah, it was like Arizona forced a punt and then came back and won. Uh, Colorado is playing at Hawaii. That's going to be my favorite game of Thursday, other than yeah. Utah-Michigan. Because we were talking last week about how excited you were for that one. I am so excited for this game. Hawaii is like my favorite place in the world, and so I'm so excited to just watch watch the sunset over Hawaii on Thursday night. Like, whatever about the football game. Like, Hawaii could be playing anybody, and I'd be, like, so hyped about this. It's all I want. It's all I want. There's actually a restaurant right by me uh, called Trader Vic's, which is, like, a Polynesian restaurant. Yeah. And if you go in and you just pick a corner or whatever where you can't see Portland outside of it, it legit (laughs) looks and kind of feels like you're in the in uh, the Pacific. Yeah. Um, yeah, Utah opens up hosting Michigan after going into the big house last year and winning. Arizona State, oh, this is the other good one. Arizona State hosting Texas A&M. Ooh, I like that one. I think they'll win this game. They pretty much have to win this game. They're like, This is like their Michigan State. Is this Saturday or Thursday? This is Saturday, although okay. the kickoff is like 4 p.m. Because it's 5 p.m. in Arizona. I think Arizona's one hour ahead right now. Um, UCLA plays Virginia, who is awful. That coach has the worst out-of-conference schedule. Uh, He's going to get fired at the end of the year. USC hosting Arkansas State. So that's another game where they should do what they're supposed to do. Uh, Let's take a look at Stanford. Stanford's at Northwestern. Battle of the Nerds um, should win that game. Should should win that game. If they're going to be serious this year, they need to like win that game. Yeah. Uh, Cal hosting Grambling State. I always love when Grambling plays Florida A&M because their bands are fire. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Washington. Oh, at Boise State on a Friday. Who do you have winning that game? Washington at Boise State? Yes, on a Friday, oh. on the blue oh. turf. On the Smurf turf. Yeah. Um, I want to give that one to Boise State. Yep, they're going to win that. Boise State I have winning too. Yeah. Um, Washington State hosting Portland State, good for them. Uh, Portland State could actually win that. Uh, Oregon State hosting Weber State on a Friday night. In- Ooh. In, as the college kids call it, Corvegas. 
One side note, one time I was going for a run and I literally saw a girl wearing a shirt that said Corvegas. Oh, that's awesome. Someone smart and made t-shirts of that. And of course they follow up their Weber State game at Michigan State. Although Oregon State beating Michigan would be the funniest thing of the college football season. I cut out for a second. Recap that. Oh, uh, Oregon State is at Michigan the next week, the following okay. week. Which, and if they beat Michigan, that would be the funniest. Yeah. Um, but Weber State, like, Oregon State always has close games against FCS teams. And often they lose them. Like, in 2011, they lost to Sacramento State in overtime. Oh, that was fun. Yeah, and then two years ago in 2013... They lost to Eastern Washington. Um, in 2012, they beat Wisconsin 10-7. I remember doing picks that whole year for Wisconsin. I remember being so confused with that team the whole season. Yeah. And then last year, they hosted Portland State and won 29-14. That game was really close like going into the second half. Uh, they were at Hawaii, scraped out a win there. Like, this is a team that doesn't always perform well early on. And their roster is abysmal. And they're in a new system, and their players aren't ready for the... Aren't, aren't the type of players for the new system. So, I mean, there's... I'm just happy football's back. I'm just going to be watching games all day until I have to... Like, even in the car ride down to uh, Eugene. The most wonderful time of year is back. Oh, for sure. I'm so excited. So, all right. Do you have any closing comments? We've pretty much gone over everything we can at this point. Went over the depth chart, game against Eastern Washington, did a quick uh, rundown of the conference schedule. So I think think we hit it all. Yep. So thorough. All right. Well, that's it for Sling and Quack. Uh, we will talk to you guys the week of Michigan State. It's finally here. It's the Mich- It's going to be Michigan State week next week. I've been thinking about this game pretty much all summer, more so than any other Pac-12 game. So, got to get through Eastern Washington clean, both on the field and uh, injury-free. That'll do it for us in Amsterdam. See you guys next week.